to that end, I, I know there's some uh, concern and worry about the budget this year. Finances aren't exactly where we would like them to be. Uh, I got a letter here not too long ago, uh, and I'm just going to read you the letter as it's, as it's written. For over 100 years, First Baptist Church of Sulphur has been a symbol and reminder of the great commission given to us by Jesus Christ to reach out to our community and spread the love and grace of God through a missions-oriented church. Our founders had a vision for our church, building missions and churches in the name of Christ, always reaching out to those in need. Our community is more in need now than ever. I believe our church, I believe in our church, and I believe the members of this church still have a collective heart for missions and outreach. It has become more and more evident that we need a family minister to continue our pursuit of the goals of FBC Sulphur. We need a family minister and we need a youth minister, perhaps not at the same time, but soon. That's why I am coming forward to be the first to challenge the members of the church to reach a budget goal that enables us to move forward as a church, to be of one mind, one heart, and one goal, answering the call of our Savior. When we wanted a renovated sanctuary and foyer, we all pulled together and gave above and beyond our tithe to accomplish this goal, and now we have a beautiful renovation in our church. I would like to propose a similar challenge. I will match dollar for dollar any gift given above regular tithes up to $10,000 in the next year to meet the budget proposed for the salary of a minister to families, no matter who is hired. That's how much I believe in the mission of our church. That's how committed I am to the outreach needed for our community. And I know there must be others who feel the same. I challenge the members of First Baptist Church of Sulphur to pray about your involvement in the church, your commitment in your tithes, to give in faith, and to expect God to provide for the needs of FBC as we place our trust in him. So that letter came to me, not anonymously, but uh, the person wishes to re remain anonymous, but uh, the person is going to match gifts given particularly toward the, the minister, of, uh, minister of family salary, and she's encouraging others to do the same. So that's just something to keep in mind. I wanted to read that to you uh, since she sent it to me and ask that, uh, that I, I do share that with you. So, there you go, and you can uh, move forward with that as you wish. Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and I will say uh, I, I'm incredibly encouraged by her. That letter, that, that offering there, uh, that, that's pretty amazing that someone would step up and do that, uh, believing in what God wants to do in our community and our church. John chapter 1, we begin our Advent series. This, the, the Sunday morning sermons, just to tell you what's going on, the Sunday morning sermons will take the scripture passage that we're going to talk about on Sunday night and expand those sermons, uh, it, the, 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 or those, uh, those verses. This morning will be your typical Sunday sermon. Uh, on those passages. During the, the Bible study on Sunday night, during the Advent series because of Bethlehem, uh, it will be a much less formal, Sunday night has already become kind of that anyway, but even, even less formal uh, for the next three Sunday nights, really. We're going to only be able to do it for uh, three Sunday nights. Our choirs presenting their Christmas music on the 11th and 12th, uh, 10th and 11th, there we go, Saturday and Sunday night. So uh, we'll skip that night on the Advent study, and we'll finish it up the, the next Sunday night before Christmas. We'll preach on the verses, 
At night, we will have some question and answer time. There will actually be a video. Of the, the series is written by Max Licato. He will, we will play that video 15 to 20 minutes, somewhere along in there, and then we will uh, work through the, the material. Uh, much, different, uh, much different style, but also a different handling of the text on Sunday night than what we're going to have on Sunday mornings. So that tells you where we're going. This morning, John chapter 1 uh, verse 14 is our focal passage. We're going to end up reading uh, 1 through uh, 17, uh, rather 18, when we get started. But let me uh, ask you if you know who this person is in this picture that's coming up in just a second. Anybody know who that is? I th- yeah, I heard it. Lottie Moon, good Good missions people, y'all got it, I'm impressed. If you don't know, that's Lottie Moon. If you're new to the Baptist church or, and you're wondering who is this, what's this Lottie Moon offering and, and why are we giving her money, we're not. Uh, she's been dead for a number of years, I believe 1912 was when she, uh, she died. She was a very devout, very faithful Southern Baptist missionary. Um, she was a missionary to China in 1873 from 1873 to 1912. She was born in 1840 in Virginia. Had a, didn't grow up with a heart for missions. She grew up kind of a, a wild pagan, but she got saved in her teen years and soon thereafter felt a call to missions, particularly to China. One of the, she was a pioneer in a couple of ways. One, if you were a female missionary in those days, you taught school. That was your mission work. The kids, you went to wherever it was, you taught school in, in that, uh, taught some classes, uh, you, you hoped, you prayed for opportunities to witness to those children through that, but that was your job. She challenged that uh, a great deal. She, if she wasn't married, she never married. She ended up being one of the first women to go into China, inland China, going with the express purpose of evangelizing individuals directly and planting churches. So in that way, she was a, a, a pioneer and a groundbreaker. One of the other ways, she wasn't the first to do this, but she was uh, one of the first to dress like the locals. Hudson Taylor was actually uh, the first one that we're aware of when he, w- he went to China, Inland China Mission is what he went with. Um, actually, is what he started went in and he dressed completely like the locals. As a matter of fact, in every way except facial features, you wouldn't have known him from anyone else. Lottie Moon picked that up. Whether she picked it up from him, probably did, or not, or just saw that, hey, you know what? I can't go in my American dress and really effectively reach these people. She went and said, I'm going to dress like them. I'm going to look like them. I'm going to clearly learn the language. I'm going to experience and, and live in their culture so that I can most uh, uh, successfully talk to them. Missionaries have, now that's pretty common that we do it, but even back in the 40s and 50s, uh, we were still going to places where they lived in, met in, had government in, grass huts, thatched roofs, and we were building round grouse huts, and we were building square brick buildings for churches, and it just wasn't working. So she looked like the culture. She looked like the people she was reaching. She became one of them in reality. Jesus did the same thing, only he did it better. Jesus 
became one of us. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at a remarkable gift, this gift that we were given in Jesus, in this baby in a manger, what that meant for us, uh, not just for uh, you know, trees and presents under the tree and pretty lights on our house, but what it meant for us as humans. This morning, we're going to look at that gift given, and rather than looking at John, uh, uh, Matthew or Luke, the, the birth narratives, we're looking at John that goes back even further than that. Read with me John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this is the one of whom I said, the one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. So, we see this incredible cosmic image, if I can use that term, of Jesus coming. We could spend months, volumes have been written, just on the first couple of verses, but especially on verses 1 through 18. We're not going to spend months or volumes on it, and that's why we're only going to be looking, or we're going to be focusing primarily on, verses, on verse 14, and even at that, just the first half of verse 14. This, this remarkable gift that we're going to be talking about for the next four Sundays was given when Jesus came. And this morning, we're talking about the giving of that gift, but, but what really happened at his birth? That's, that's the question we're going to answer today. What really happened? What was going on? Not, not drummer boys and wise men. And, and by the way, wise men weren't at the birth. Just so you know that. They were there two years later. Anyway, uh, just throw that out there. Uh, you can ask me what I mean by that later. Uh, you know, not the, the angels and not the shepherds and not the, the physical part of it. And did he cry when he was slapped? And uh, did, did it, was it painful for Mary? And all? No, not, not those things that happened. What was happening on a much much grander scale. Matthew and Luke get into some of that when they talk about the angels singing and uh, praising God and inviting the shepherds and the, the angels coming, Gabriel coming to Mary and Joseph to make these announcements. And we get some, some picture of, of what was going on, but John really gets to it. 
John lets us know exactly what was going on. Not exactly, but gives us a, a, an incredible uh, universal, a credi- an incredible spiritual picture of what really happened at Jesus' birth. What happened was John 1.14. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. That's what happened. So let's look at that verse and see what John is, is telling us here. Well, first of all, we see the, the, the first word, the word, the logos. That's your, your Greek word. If, if uh, you, you're, you've heard that word before, it's, it's, it's a very mundane word, generally, but it's also a very powerful word. Even for the Greeks, it could be something as simple as a word, uh, but as something as powerful as something from the spiritual uh, or the, the cosmic realm. Jesus was that word. Immediately, John, in, chat, in verse 1, starts talking about, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Then he says in verse 2, he. doesn't, doesn't say it. He, he's, he's clearly personalizing and personifying that word. That word was something more than just spoken, but it, it, the, the spoken word, but it was the spoken word. Read Colossians, and it talks about how everything was created through Jesus. He spoke. Jesus spoke. And, and creation happened. Jesus was there, John tells us, when it all began. This, this logos is, encompasses Jesus' entire ministry, his, his works, his words, his eternal being, his existence, but it also goes back to God's self-revelation. Jesus is God showing himself to us. The word is God expressing himself. Jesus is God expressing himself. That's how much is packed into this one word, logos. In the beginning was the word. In verse 14, John says the word does something. Again, back in verse two, uh, verses 1 and 2, the word was with God and the word was God. This is not trinitarian because there's no mention of the spirit right there in that verse so it's really talking about the nature of jesus and god this was this was discussed we're going to talk about this in a few minutes this nature of jesus what exactly was he started all sorts of fights uh started all sorts of conversations and and the church had to come to grips with what does this mean what what can it mean and still be accurate to God's word, to what he says both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. John says he was with God and he was God. He was one and the same, yet separate and different. Now, if that doesn't make your brain hurt, I don't know what does. Then we throw in the Holy Spirit and we make it a trinity. And we talk about that, but we're not going to do that this morning because uh, I, I really don't want you to pull a brain muscle. Uh, and it would pull numerous, well, I don't have that many personally, but it, it, would, it would be tough for me to try to explain both of them this morning, so I'm not going to. So we'll stop there on the word, the word, the logos, the self-expression of God, everything that Jesus was and, and is and did in his words, this all became flesh. The word, the word that had existed before everything else will exist after everything else. The word that was not just a part of creation, but caused creation. 
all of that, everything that is encompassed in that, all the, the spiritual parts, the, the cosmic parts that's found in that logos, that word, that became flesh. That's going to pull your other brain muscle. Okay, so, so we, we've got the word was God and with God, ouch. That, all that became flesh. Double ouch. It should blow our minds that he would become flesh. This flesh, the Greek word is sarx. It's a very crude term. Not, not crude as in it's like foul language or off color. Not, not crude in that way. It's just a very basic term. Uh, we, uh, we talk about the high, uh, the, the, the high language of the Bible. The reason we talk about that is because we weren't around in 1611 when they translated it into King James English, at the, the, the English of the time. So now, for our ears, that sounds very Shakespearean, which a lot of it was. But in reality, that was a very crude language that they translated it into. The, the Latin Bible, the Vulgate, that word actually means vulgar. It was, it was vulgar in that it was crude language. It was the language of the people. It wasn't a high language. The Greek that's used is common Greek. It's not, it's not classical Greek. As a matter of fact, when I was at, uh, at LSU, I thought about taking Greek because I knew I was going into the ministry. And I talked to some folks, and they said, you can, and you'll learn some things, but the Greek you're going to learn in seminary is different from the Greek you'll learn in college because you're going to learn classical Greek and Greek that's spoken today. But the Greek from the Bible is a very crude, very uh, vulgar, very common Greek. It's a different Greek. That's what this word is. It's crude. It's, it's common. It's like saying, if we were referencing a car, I bought a jalopy instead of I bought an automobile. I bought an automobile. Well, that makes me sound pretty pretty impressive, right? I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't buy a car, I bought an automobile. When in reality, what I bought was a jalopy. That, that creates a different image for you, right? We're talking about the same thing, correct? You know, either way, I bought some sort of vehicular transportation that I'm going to drive around town. But an automobile versus a jalopy. Same thing, different word, creates a different image. They could have said he became man, anthropos. He, they could have said a number of things, John could have, and by the, Holy, uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't. He said he became flesh. He became stuff. He became the, the, what gets dirty and has to be washed. And what You know how many cells you slough off every day? Somewhere in the millions of skin cells that just fly off of you all day long. Isn't that nice? You know, pig pen on the peanuts, he's always walking around in a cloud, that's you. It's just, it's just skin cells instead of dirt. That's, that's what Jesus, that's what the word became, flesh, this, this stuff. Jesus became a jalopy. And this word became is actually more the word took on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I talked about putting on different aspects of God, different characteristics of God, things that we are supposed to put on, like kindness and that sort of thing. It's the same terminology that, that John uses here to describe what Jesus did with this flesh. He, he put on, he, he became. This, this blew the Greeks' minds. 
Okay, the Greeks that would have heard this, that, that would have, the, the, the Hellenized society, uh, Helena, Hellenized means the Greek culture, and if you don't know much about Western civilization, uh, civilization, everything the Romans did that was good, they pretty much stole from the Greeks when they beat them militarily. Romans came up with very few ideas of their own. They just stole it all from the Greeks and changed the names and said, ooh, aren't we smart? That's, that was free. You don't have to pay for that. Uh, so it blew the Greeks' minds. It blew the Romans' minds. Wait a minute. Spirit, the, the, the divine, or spirit is divine. Spirit is, is special. Flesh is mundane, worldly. Those two things, they don't mix. The Greek gods would put on an appearance when they would come down to earth, but they were something different from humans. So this idea that, that the word became put on flesh blew their minds because it messed up their strict duality of spirit and of flesh. But God's in the business of, of blowing people's minds because he sent the word that became, that was 100% God and 100% man. And I don't know how to explain it. I had a pastor growing up that would always say, Jesus was the only 200% person who ever lived. 100% man and 100% God. And even this word put on, it almost sounds like, if you, if you let your imagination roam just a little bit, it almost, you can almost see Jesus in some sort of spiritual, ethereal, spirit-like form putting on a skin suit, a flesh suit. You know, oh, I'm a human now. No, that is a, that's a bad image. Don't get that image. We're going to talk about some of those images we have. Uh, that image is, is not quite what happened. Let's look at first what this does not mean. Now, I'm going to throw a lot of $5 words at you. The reason I'm going to throw these $5 words at you is because I want you to see that one, some of these descriptions of what happened, right? That's what we're talking about. What happened when Jesus was born. When, when the word became flesh, what was going on? Some of these $5 words, I want you to see them because you need to know these are not new heresies. These are heresies that have been around for a long, long time. So long, they have names. So what did not happen? What, or happen? what this isn't? Well, there was one group that said Jesus was just mere man. There was no divine to him, no, no two natures. And that's, you're going to hear that phrase a lot from me in the next couple of minutes. Two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. What the Ebionites, Ebionism, what they said was that he was just mere man. No divine nature, all human nature. This is probably what the Judaizers that Paul was fighting against for a lot of his missionary career, particularly you can read about them in Galatians, and some of their views, that's probably what they believed. That Jesus was just a mere man, a good man. Now, does that sound familiar? Does that sound like something you hear today? Oh, Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't God. Oh, he, was, he, he taught some nice things. As a matter of fact, we want to ignore everything else he, the Bible says about various sins, and we want to just focus on what Jesus did not say specifically about those sins. And we say, he was a good man, he was a good teacher, but, you know, he wasn't God. Well, that's a very, 
very old heresy that even Paul had to deal with. So he isn't mere man. Uh, another view is that he only appeared physical. Docetism. The, the Docetics was a, a group that came up with that. They were Greek. Remember, they had this duality of spirit is divine and, and flesh is worldly and those, the twain, never this twain shall meet. Well, that was their view. Okay, he only appeared physical. He did a lot like what Zeus and the other gods did. Uh, he, he showed up in a physical body, but he really, really wasn't physical. That's docetism. That is a heresy to say that Jesus was only physical. I mean, there, there are a lot of things you have to explain away in the New Testament, in the Gospels, to say Jesus wasn't physically there. He was just spiritually there. You're going to have some trouble with that. Uh, this doesn't mean that Jesus was born human and then later on made divine. That's a, a heresy called adoptionism, that Jesus was a human, and then at baptism, generally is what they say, at his baptism, he adopted the nature of divinity. So he was one thing, then he was something else. Nope. Clearly, John is, is not telling us that. John is telling us that he was, and, then he, and, and that he is, and, and those things didn't change. Uh, next heresy, what this isn't, this isn't God in a different mode. I actually heard a preacher one time, and it kind of really made sense to me at the time, and then I thought about, wait a minute, this is, there's something wrong with this, and then I learned what the word was for it. Adoption, or modalism, is the word. God in a different mode. In the Old Testament, he was God. He, he was not seen, uh, except maybe by, uh, by Moses. Uh, he, was, he was not physical. Then, in, in the New Testament, at the Incarnation, when Jesus was born, God became Jesus, and he was a human for 33 years. And then when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is now how God exists. Di three different modes throughout history. Well, what we have there is not a Trinitarian God. We have a God who, who changes when it's necessary. And the Bible's clear that God doesn't change. Um, so you, you can't have modalism. And, and what the preacher said that made me think, he said, when we get to heaven, we're only going to see God on the throne. We're not going to see the Holy Spirit in Jesus because if we did, we were, were, were tritheists, polytheists, multiple gods. Well, I, 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 after I thought about that for a little bit, I was like, no, I'm pretty sure when the Bible says the Lamb has sat down at the right hand of the Father that we're going to see Father and Son just because we don't understand how, and we're not going to get into that this morning, doesn't mean it's not the case. So that's, a, that's modalism. Uh, another view that doesn't really get into how they're divided, but what happened uh, at, the, at the birth is Arianism, that Jesus, the Son, now not Jesus the human with the flesh, but the Son, the, the, the person who existed before time, he was created. So at some point before John 1.1, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, at some point before that verse, God created the Son. Well, that takes away the eternality of, of, of the Son. That takes away the divinity of the Son. And this, this was started by a guy named Arius, who was actually trying to avoid heresy, whoops, and, and trying to combat modalism and say, no, 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 that's not the way it happened. And he ended up creating just a new heresy, which we can do sometimes. So the son was created at some point. So he was, uh, it was easy for him to come down and, 
and, and be, uh, uh, take flesh and that kind of thing. Another view is called Apollinarianism. By the way, there is no quiz on these words. Uh, I, I, won't, I won't make you do that. It's, it's, it's pass-fail here. Human flesh, divine spirit. That's that putting on flesh idea. The, the divine spirit put on the body of a human, Apollinarianism. But you have a strict divide between the two. You have a nature of God, you have a nature of human. The two natures were divided. One, one, one body, one person, one entity, but within somehow, he was, he was God part of the time, he was man part of the time. He wasn't 100% both. He was, he was warring within him. The, the divine would try to take over the human, and the human would try to take over the divine, and that was going on inside of him. That is Nestorianism. Eutychianism. Something brand new was created. When God, when the word became flesh, this was this new, you've got, you've got humans, you've got uh, God, and now we've got something brand new in between. Something different. Not, not really human, not really God, we don't know what it is. Do you see how these things aren't working? Uh, Monophysitism, he was, it, there was only a divine nature. Kind of gets back to... Um, uh, Nestorianism, or rather uh, uh, Apollinarianism, that there was this divine nature, this divine spirit. Then there was another one called monothelitism who, that says two natures. He was both human and God, but the divine nature always won. Okay, why, Michael? Why did you just tell us all that stuff? Well, like I said earlier, a lot of these are still going on today. And you can read it from scholars, from, from and, and you can read it from scholars, and from scholars who will write about it in Time Magazine and Newsweek. You know, they love to do the covers, who was Jesus, and all this other stuff. Easter, they like to try to debunk it. We, 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 we hear about new gospels being found all online. All this is is just re-thrown up, throw up. I mean, they're just, they're just bringing it back up again and again and again. So if you understand, wait, this is stuff that's been debunked over and over. When was it debunked? Nicene Creed, A.D. 325, got together primarily against Arius, the guy who came up with Arianism that said Jesus was created, or the Son, rather, was created. Folks said, okay, we, we have jumped the shark on, 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 on how we're going to describe Jesus. We need to get together and talk about this and see what, we're gonna, what, what will be the... Uh, the way going forward. And they said, We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father, only begotten, and remember we talked about a few weeks ago, begotten means appointed. That is, from the essence of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten or appointed, not made, against Arius right there, of one substance with the Father who because of us men and because of our salvation came down and became incarnate and became man. But as, as for those who say there was a time when he was not and before being born he was not and that he came into existence out of nothing or who assert that the Son of God is of a different substance or essence or created or is subject to alteration or change, these, the Catholic, little c, meaning universal, these, the Catholic and apostolic church, 
anathematizes or declares to be void and against understood uh, biblical doctrine, orthodoxy. That is the word becoming flesh. Now, if you just got lost in all that, Google it. Go back and look at it. Because there's no easy answer, right? There's no just simple way to say the Son became flesh. John does it, but to our brains, to our minds, we're going, wait, John, how? Well, we don't know how. We know what wasn't. We know what is. But what we need to focus on is in the miracle of why. See, we get to see God in the flesh, not in a second mode, but God in the flesh. God come down, the Son, the Word, putting on flesh and saying, I want to wear this ugly flesh suit. Because, like Lottie Moon witnessing to the Chinese, Jesus comes down and says, I want them to see me. I want them to understand me. I want them to talk to me. I want to be a part of their culture, about part of who they are. There are other reasons why a man had to die in our place. We're not going to get into that this morning. A 100% man had to die in our place, or else it doesn't count. But 100% God had to do it as well. Otherwise, sin isn't forgiven. We're not going to talk about that this morning. You think about that over lunch today. But there, there are reasons why that had to happen. But primarily, God was saying, I've got to be able to talk to them. I've got to be able to sit down with them. I've got to be able to feel what they feel. I've got to be able to, for them to know that, that I, God, am not, I, Jesus, am, am not one who is unacquainted with their grief. One who has gone through what we go through, tempted as we are. So the word became flesh and took up residence among us. That word took up residence is actually tabernacled, set up a tent, built a tent. If, if the word becoming flesh blew the Greeks' minds, God tabernacling with people blew the Jews' minds. They knew what it was to tabernacle. You know, they, they go back to the Exodus when they wandered around and they built tents and, and God lived in a tent, the tent of meeting, and they saw the pillar of smoke by day and the uh, pillar of fire by night. They, they knew, okay, it's there. We sure can't approach that. Moses gets to go in. The rest of us don't. We, are, uh, we stay away from that. And here suddenly... The Word who was with God and was God decides to put on flesh and tabernacle, take on a tent that allowed not just one man, but every man to come to Him and say, I want to spend time with you. And Jesus says, great, because I want you to spend time with me too. You can hush because I'm not done yet. God wants to spend time with you, so He put on a tent that allowed you to approach Him. I'm sorry, I was expecting more amens on that one. I thought, hey, that's a good thing. Maybe I didn't say it right. God said, I'm going to send the word, my son, my only begotten, and I'm going to send him, and I'm going to make him be, exist, put on flesh in such a way that those people can walk up to him, hold his hand, talk to him, love on him, 
be loved on by him. And then one day they're going to kill him just for that. But you know what? That's the plan too. Because in dying and sending him, the death is why he came. Putting on flesh was so he could die. He tabernacled among us. Flesh now housed what the tabernacle used to house. Flesh now contained the Son of God. This is intimacy unseen in the Old Testament. God existed, yeah, we go through the priest, we go through the offering system, we do our little offerings, some folks do bigger offerings, and once a year, one guy does the big offering and we're good, but we don't really get to approach God, and now we do. God came down and put on flesh. He put on flesh, he tabernacled among us. People were his purpose. He came for us. He came for you. When John says he tabernacled among us, he is, he is talking about, at that time, them. He's talking about the disciples. He resided. He took up a residence among us. He came and he stayed. He hasn't left. He says, it's good that the son that I leave, but I will send my spirit. I will send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to come and lead you into all truth. You will not be left alone, Jesus said. He came and he stayed. At this point, the Spirit, if you are a believer, the Spirit now tabernacles inside of us. We have the same access to Jesus, to the Son in the flesh, that the disciples had. Sadly, too often it doesn't feel like that. Am I wrong? It doesn't feel like we have the same access the son that the disciples had. But you know whose fault that is? It's, it's not the son's. It's not the Holy Spirit's. It's ours. He is among us. He came and he stayed. He's tabernacled among us. This morning, I want you to let him dwell in you. Let him tabernacle in you this morning. He takes residence in our heart. We use different phrases for salvation. One of them is, come into my heart. Save me. Uh, I put my trust in you. He takes up residence. He becomes a part of us. Christ in us. How does that work? I don't know. But I know it does. This morning, Jesus wants to tabernacle in you. And that's a choice that you make. You know, this isn't a, a circumstance of, of you are a, a, an empty, abandoned home and Jesus is a squatter and going to come and force his way in. It's not the way it works. It's a choice you make this morning. Will you admit that you're a sinner? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of those sin is death. Admit that. I'm a sinner. But even in my sinfulness, Christ died for me. Even in your sinfulness, Christ died for you. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's the B. Admit, believe, confess. 
Scriptures are there. If you, if, you, if you don't believe me, there's a screen that tells you that's what it is. Your sin is the problem. Your belief is the issue, and that's what needs to change. And then you confess that. We, we confess that as Baptists, first with our mouths and often by coming down front, but we confess that primarily through baptism. Saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to follow in obedience, but I'm also going to make a public example that I am now yours. Would you do that today? Not be baptized. But would you trust him? Would you allow him to dwell in you this morning? Believer, maybe you're struggling with who Jesus is some days for you. Maybe you're struggling with his faithfulness to you. Maybe you're, you're struggling with his ability to, to handle your issues. Let me tell you, he can. He tabernacles in you today, believer. He lives within you right now. You, just, as, just as the word put on flesh, when you believed, you put on Christ. And he lives in you. So you don't have to struggle anymore. So what decision do you need to make? Every one of us here this morning, all 200 or so of us, have to make a decision because God's word has been opened. God's word has been read. What is your decision this morning? Will you follow him for the first time in salvation? Will you admit you're a sinner? Believe that Jesus is who he said he is and confess that you want to follow him. Believer, will you say, Jesus, you are all I need. You are all I need to be thankful for. You are everything that I need. What's your decision today? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that you have sent your word, your son, your only begotten, your only appointed son. Lord, you made a lot of things. You made a lot of people. You did not make him, but he is appointed to be our savior. Thank you that you have provided that today. God, thank you that as believers, it is reassurance, Lord, that you love us. It is daily that we can rest in our salvation, rest in our faith. And Lord, I pray this morning that there's someone who doesn't know you as Savior and they're struggling with who Jesus is. How does this whole incarnation, that's a big word, how does this whole incarnation thing work, Lord? In all of the, the seminary words and the Greek words that, Lord, that they hear this morning, God became flesh to die for you. That's the heart of the message. That's the heart of how we prepare for this coming Christmas celebration. Lord, thank you for sending your son to be one of us, to love us and die for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what's your decision this morning? Do you, do you need to take that gift that's been given to you? Maybe you need to accept Christ. Maybe you've accepted Christ and you need to be baptized. Maybe, maybe you need to recommit some things to Jesus. Maybe you are having a little trouble with the trust issue. Maybe you need to join our church. I'm not sure what your decision is. I'll be happy to pray with you. If you'd like to just write it on a connection card and let us know that way, that would be great too. If you'd like us to con one of us to contact you during the week, we'd love to do that. Let's stand. You pray. You, you have a decision time, a response time with Jesus. Do business with God as we sing this morning.